Blog Talk Radio. Classic City, Athens, Georgia. This is Arthur Millen, and coming to you from an undisclosed uh, undisclosed location, presumably in California, the immortal, the incomparable, the I'm stalling for my computer to turn on his mic, Patrick Toppin. I mean, I'm here, and I am, uh, where am I? I'm in Midtown Sacramento, so, um, yeah. My new home, so if anybody wants to come by and say hi, not uh, not leave a comment or something, and that's that's pretty much it. And I know what the name of Sacramento. There's a lot of trees here, so I guess we're the tree city. Sure, I I I think it sounds about right. I mean, I, I well, I mean, what else would Sacramento be known for? Um, we have like 276 days of oh, it's, we're the city of trees. The big tomato or sack, but we're also just have like 200 something days of sun a year, which I don't know. Seems kind of cool. I don't know how I'm gonna deal with it in comparison to Boston, so that's cool. But uh, people don't tune into this to hear me talk about the great city of Sacramento. They're here to talk about Grosselmania. Arthur? Huh. Well, our host disconnected, which is a shame, and probably bodes poorly for everything else. So let's just get right into it. <clears throat> for those of you who were watching, uh, you know that last weekend, um, well, first, we apologize for last week. There was a playoff game for the Oakland days that conflicted with the time this usually records at, I had, quote-unquote, other priorities, which is a shame, and uh, we just didn't get it done. We apologize for that. It won't happen again. But the rest of it, um, yeah, Boston College played Louisville on Saturday. It was, I think, a shootout against probably the team that BC had the best chance of beating for the rest of the year, and uh, they lost. Yeah, and so sorry about that, everybody. Uh, he's I, back. For some reason. I am back. I'm sitting here talking about how much of a disaster uh, Saturday was. Um, well, first I was apologizing for missing last week, and then I just sort of bamped for a few seconds about how the fact that it's really sad that we lost a game against probably the team that we have the best chance of beating for the rest of the year. See, like, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, like, I think that part of it's bad. What bothers me the most about last Saturday is you go into that game with a legitimate chance to win. Anthony Brown gets hurt. You lose, you lose your starting quarterback, who was doing a really solid job. I think he was like for 13 when he got hurt. Um, he and then you get a, um, 
a, a guy like like um, Dennis Grossel, who um, I think he could, you could probably say he had a fine game. Um, I, I think um, the completion to attempt ratio was a little bit deceptive. I don't think he was as great as I think people were making him out to be, but he did fine. And more to the point, the offense gave 39 points to the defense, and the defense still couldn't get the job done. And that, to me, is appalling. Yeah, so I guess we talk about the offense first. Obviously, Anthony Brown was having kind of like on pace for a career day before he got injured. He was six for seven, nearly 200 yards, which is like he was averaging almost 30 yards an attempt, which is insane once you get over like four attempts. Um, so he was cruising. He goes down with a leg injury. Um, hasn't really been a whole lot of update, but I think it's, it was pretty safe to say that he's he's going to be gone for a while. Um, so that's pretty, and then I think you end up with the guy who's a former preferred walk-on who I don't think anybody really expected to ever play meaningful snaps at Boston College as your presumed starter probably for the rest of the season because, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you have a guy like that who's taking snaps, but he does the, the offense doesn't implode that I the way I think that some people that including myself probably would have expected. The the, the running game was was exceptionally strong. Grossel did what he needed to do. He he did a really great job sort of improvising on that um two poor that uh, botched extra point attempt. Um, but if you tell me that Anthony Brown um, get hurt and our uh, preferred walk-on replaces him. That's not. I've expected the offense to kind of falter and it didn't. So you know, credit to the offense for you know getting it together. Now, granted, I don't think that happens uh, again against a different team, but you know, kudos, kudos nonetheless. I would say they did a good job of executing. I will say, I think you're giving them a little bit too much credit. I will say. With Anthony Brown, they were rolling. I was very, very sort of excited for how it was going to go. Um, AJ Dillon had a great day. I think you're underplaying. I didn't realize that Dennis Grossel ended up having as bad a game as he did until I ended up taking a look at the stat lines. Nine for 24 isn't great. Um, it's 4.6 yards per attempt. Um, I give a lot of credit actually to Mike Pajakian and Steve Adazio and whoever's calling the plays because I thought there was a really good job mixing up the play calls and sort of when to pull out the gadget plays and how not to be predictable in the second half as I was reviewing it. Um, because I think, you know, three years ago, it's not that if you, you know, your quarterback goes down, I think you're they're, they're helpless in the sun. Um, AJ Dillon had another great game. Um, mediocre on third down. They went like three for 14 or sorry, five, four for 15. Um, which is probably a little lower than you'd like, but you can't expect to convert them all. The story of this game is undoubtedly the defense um, because I think I was listening to something and I think the one that really told, the one that told me when I was like, oh, it was that bad is that I think Louisville matched their previous, their season total so far of plays of more than 20 yards in this game. 
I think they had 11 or 12 plays that went for more than 20 yards against BC. And that is simply unforgivable. They look undisciplined and unready and poorly coached out there. And it's just absurd sitting here as a BC fan with a defense that I don't think I expected to be good, but I didn't expect it to be this bad. And to see the parts of the defense that I thought would be good, like the linebackers totally, totally, totally lose discipline and lose their gap integrity is just, I don't know how to feel about it. It's just like, what the hell happened? Yeah. And and part of the issue too um, is like it, the defense just didn't put up any resistance at all. And um, they let a Louisville team just run all over them. They've let up the most uh, yardage uh, of any BC team in history. Um, And they really spoiled, like, you know, I'll I'll, I'll I'll agree with your preface about the offense, but they spoiled a really good day from the offense, Uh, at least a 39-point day from the offense. Um, and, and, and that's concerning. Like they, 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 they just from top to bottom just did not look strong the entire game. I have never seen a team that they're giving up long completions on soft coverage and they're, they're long completions through the air, not just on the ground on soft coverage. Packers are missing their holes they may they can't maintain the edge they have no gap integrity it is just really I don't want to say it's frustrating but it's like because obviously I've said that to death but there's a point now where I think as BC fans you wonder like I don't think this can be fixed before the end of the season um if I'm being honest because if they haven't put it together by now they are not going to put it together against Clemson or Florida State or Notre Dame, no matter how up or down those teams might be this year, they're not about to like suddenly be like, oh right, like I can read. They can't. If you can't read a gap against Louisville, you're not going to read it against Syracuse. Dino Babers has too good of an offense for that. And as much as I hate to say it, Louisville is not a good team. Like they're bad. Like they. They're punching above their weight, I will say. I mean, their coach has done a lot of credit, but it's just – this is probably the last winnable game. And it, if you told me that BC went winless for the rest of the year, I would I would believe it because the defense has just been that bad. To give you an idea of how bad the defense was, Louisville had 14 drives uh, the entire game. And of those 14 drives, they had two that went for less than 10 yards. The, the rest went for more than that. So that means they got a first down and they gave them a significant amount of time. They dominated time of possession. 35-25 in time of possession. And, I mean, like, what do you – like, you can't – the defense isn't – Yeah, there's just no way to deal with it besides being better. I mean, yeah, and this defense is not going to get turned around because I will say there's – the defensive line had a few plays in the running game, but it's like once running backs got to the second level, they were gone. Um, and to me, I guess, to me, the most disappointing group on this team this year has been the linebackers because 
the guys who we all thought were going to be so good, like Max Richardson or John Lamont, have been underwhelming. To be kind. And I think that, yeah, it's just been, I didn't expect the secondary to be good. I didn't expect the defensive line to be as good as the last couple of years, but I thought that the linebackers would cover some of the holes and would allow, you know, sort of those short and intermediate routes to be covered a little bit longer and, you know, bail out, you know, the front and the back. But man, I don't think I've seen a defense this bad since like 2016 Cal, maybe. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen a defense this bad. By the way, I want to correct before Anthony Brown was six for seven. Not he wasn't ten for thirteen. I don't know where I got ten for thirteen from. Um, but one thing I want to say too, uh, going back to the offense for a second, by the way, so I made the excellent point um, online. Why is BC insisting playing tempo? Because here's the thing: like Steve Adazio made the comment during the press conference. Um, that the team that had the ball last was going to win, which, by the way, ended up not being true. But um, he, at this point, he has to know the defense is a trash fire. Uh, and the offense on, being on the field is probably the best opportunity they're going to get. Why in God's name do they, pl- do they play an up-tempo offense that stalls out quickly and results in the defense getting back out on the field? It's, 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 it's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous that he insists on that. It might have worked at another point in in his tenure here, but now we have a defense as bad as this one. Why he insists on playing an up-tempo offense is is ridiculous. I mean, we spent a lot of time criticizing and blasting Adazio for the inability to adapt in-game, but, I mean, I think you're right. This shows an issue with an inability to adapt your overall game plan because – I mean, I think against, you know, the first couple of games, you're still sort of feeling things out. You're still tidying up. You're like, well, like maybe our defense isn't that bad, but it's clear at this point that BC is facing a historic, BC has a historically bad defense by their own standards. Um, and he is not putting them in positions to succeed. And that is not good. It is really just, it, it, to me, it, it's just, it is, a reminder that Adazio hasn't changed at all. And I think, you know, each year you hope that a coach will fix some of their flaws from previous years and all that. I think we've seen a little, I mean, we've seen improvement on the offensive side because in a lot of ways it was hard for it to get any worse. But I think at this point, we have to, you have to just say, like, what you see is what you get with Steve Adazio. And, like, I mean, I'm fully on the fire Steve Adazio train now because I just don't think that this is – I've been very slow to firmly get on it. And even sort of, you know, I've always – I've been trying to stay sort of on the bright side and all that. But I just cannot justify the lack of ability to adapt and the lack of really anything. And – Maybe he sees something in practice every week, and then the players just vanish when Saturday rolls around. But I just don't believe that that's true. So, the same I mean, issue it can't that- be true for for this long. Yeah, like, and that's that's the thing. Like, I, I like I would buy that argument 
if this was the first year everything went south. But this is, has been happening for seven years. Seven years. Uh, we, we, we go back to his like first couple years. Everyone's clamoring for more explosive plays, and it takes him about five years to like come up with anything in terms of explosiveness because he's so obsessed with the RRPP. Um, and then we we have a problem with with again the RRPP sort of like developing, and he still hasn't broken out of that either. And now we have a defense that's a trash fire um, that doesn't seem to like be able to do anything, and yet he somehow can't get it through his skull that the defense being on the field is bad for him and bad for the team, and he needs to avoid it like the plague. And yet he insists. On, he insists on continuing with his absolute nonsense and not and not fixing anything about his game, and it, it, it's gotten to the point where like like I really don't know what we're doing here anymore. Like what's what's the point of all this? Like if if, if he insists on not gaming, then like what's the point of going out there because like the beast is gonna get clobbered again and again and again and again, and it's it's just so frustrating yeah and i think that you i mean like i said you just reached the point where you know what you get and i don't think bc should be happy with it because to me it's always we've talked about it a little bit on the show and it's like you can't fire someone for failing to meet expectations um when you have unrealistic expectations and for the fans at BC who want, you know, 10 and two every single year, like that is just not the way it's going to work right now. But the simple long short of it is that the trajectory of this program is about as flat as any that I know of in college football at this exact moment. It's going to remind, I mean, it's not even like a Washington Steve Sarkeesian sort of thing where it's like he's bringing in all the talent, but he's not producing. You don't have like a, I'm not comparing the two, but you know, Mike D'Antonio where he's had a few down years or whatever, but it's still trotting out. So and the same issues of playing the program. Well, that actually might be a solid comparison. Um, we're like the diet Mark D'Antonio. Um, but like BC has just, flatline. And I think what terrifies me, well, not really terrifies me, maybe that's the wrong word, is I really hope that when Martin Jarman is evaluating the year, he doesn't listen to Steve Adazio say, listen, there were some injuries. Listen, we had a lot of youth on defense. Because defense is legitimately young, especially in the secondary. And I hope he doesn't look at scores and says, like, well, you only lost by three to Wake. You only lost by two to Louisville. So that's two conference losses by a margin of five points. You'd think that it would go in some other direction. Like, that's that's not an excuse anymore, right? This program isn't building towards anything. And that's just so frustrating as a fan. And so it's why I'm firmly on the fire Steve Adazio train that I've been very hesitant to fully embrace. Yeah. I mean, like he can use the youth excuse all he wants, but you know, he's been here at, the, at BC for what, seven, eight years. I think eight years as I think about it. No, seven years. I'm sorry. Seven years. He's been here for seven years. Of those seven years, 
he has claimed to have young teams, six of them. The only, the only year he, he didn't do that was last year. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's cynical at this point because like we, 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 we all, we can all see through it at this point. Um, he's, he's using youth as an excuse to cover up for the fact that he hasn't built the program up to be anything. He has gotten it past the Frank Saziani years and that is it. And quite frankly, it, the people I've seen people make making the Frank Saziani co- uh, comparison. Uh, I don't know if, if that's necessarily fair, but it, they, people are saying that the defense looks worse than it did under Saziani, which I, I mean, you can't objectively say that that that's incorrect um, based on the performance last last week, uh, considering that BC led up the most yardage in the history of the program. Yeah. I mean, yeah, S&P Plus has BC as the 31st ranked offense and the 102nd ranked defense. And that seems about right. I mean, the offense has been, I will, I will admit that for all the things I said, the offense has been better this year than it has in the past few years. And I like that, but I just cannot excuse a defensive performance like this in the same way that I think it's hard to, I mean, I guess even you could forgive the offenses, offensive performances from prior years, but like, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's clearly time to cut ties with Ibadazio in my opinion. I clearly time to just move on with our lives he's clearly not the answer. And I would rather bottom out again than sit here with just like mediocre. Well, I mean, we're, we're probably looking at bottoming, yeah. bottoming out right now because we're at three ends. Uh, NC State's going to be a loss. As sure as I said here, it's going to be a loss. Uh, it's going to be a beat down. So is Syracuse. Florida State's probably going to be a loss. Notre Dame's probably going to be a loss. The only chance they might have, a, uh, the only game they might have a chance in is, is Pitt, um, and that's a that's a, a road game after a brutal stretch. So I don't know if BC wins another game this year, and I, I think like this is the point where they bottom out. Yeah, I mean I think Syracuse is probably a little bit more competitive because I don't actually think Syracuse is that good this year because I think Eric Dungey was super super underrated, um, and if you look at their just like sort of their wins, they've got a win versus. A uh, school that shouldn't exist in Liberty. They have a win against, uh, uh, blown out by Maryland, which, I mean, I think everyone was buying the Maryland, sipping the Maryland Kool Aid about four weeks ago, and now we learned our lesson. Lost to Clemson, that's fair. We're all going to do that this year. And then clobbered Western Michigan and Holy Cross, which, you know, aren't exactly good schools. Um, I think that this next game against NC State is a loss. I agree. Um, NC State has looked okay. I mean, they haven't looked perfect by any means. Um, right. Actually, I lied. They might actually be almost as bad as us. I retract my prior statement. The fact that they got clobbered by West Virginia, which is a team that has no offensive line at all to speak of, is not a good sign. Um, well, that's good to that. Have no defense to take advantage of that. So cool. That's fair. Still, I wouldn't. I mean, they're going to be underdogs in every game for the rest of the year, and really, the only two 
potentially winnable games I see are Syracuse and NC State. And if I were to one, they have no momentum right now going to NC State. They are coming off the bye, which might help, but I mean the only thing that it really does is get Dennis Grossel more comfortable with the first team offense. You got a loss against Clemson. I still think Syracuse wins, especially since it's in the carrier dome. And then you have finishing year with Florida State, Notre Dame, and Pitt. And Florida State always sort of figures out that it's just more talented than everyone by the end of the year. Notre Dame's going to smash us. Um, and Pitt is just, I mean, Pitt doesn't really make sense, but they also just beat UCS, F, and Duke, which I don't think BC could do right now. And they have kept it pretty close against Penn State. So that's pretty much it. I am firmly, yeah, fire Steve Adazio, burn it all down, and uh, let's, let's hire a hot young offensive coordinator from either a P5 team or, yeah, no, a hot young offensive coordinator from a P5 team would be my preferred pick for a replacement. No more of this pull the best guy out of the max deal. This sucks. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a shame because I don't think I've felt this down on BC football since my freshman year. And yeah, that was the 3-9 year, right? Yeah, the winless in conference year where we beat two FCS teams. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I still I've, maintain yeah. that that year was, was karma for scheduling Howard's. Uh, like, on one hand, yes, but on the other hand, I don't really, you know. Howard's a relatively, relatively good FCS school. Um, at least they have been, so I have a tough Not time. Not that year. Not that year, but, like, you don't schedule these. I guess you do schedule FCS teams usually, like, the, a year or two in advance. But, like, then they beat UNLV in the greatest upset of all time, at least according to the spread. Oh, but, but, but. Way. One thing I one thing I just thought of, like a point I bring up. Talk about the schedule. Talk about the schedule. Like schedules kind of gotten collectively worse under Steve Adazio. Um, BC is going to have like a possibly win season. Where the best non-conference. Well, I mean Notre Dame was a good opponent, but they don't have a choice in that. They played Kansas, Rutgers, and Richmond. Well. I'm fine with Richmond because you play an FCS team. And like I said in the episode, we addressed that. And, like, it's there. Like, you play – you everyone plays an FCS team. I totally get it. You buy the win. Um, you hope you don't get a smash. And, quite frankly, you don't want to schedule good FCS teams because it's not a win-win situation for anyone. Um, and then Kansas and Rutgers is clearly just like, a, hey, they're bad. We should beat them, right? And then you lose to one and you – edge out the other one. So, yeah, I agree. No, the schedule is atrocious this year. I would be – it is telling that Steve Adazio is going to have one of his worst years against this schedule, um, and it's why I think you got to cut your losses. All right, I think we've done the, the football topic to death. Want to move on to hockey? I mean, I don't know anything about hockey, so far away. All right. I think this year is going to be a good year for for, for the Eagles. Um, they looked really solid in their game against New Brunswick um, last Saturday. Um, I think the first big thing to look for is they're returning three solid guys 
um, on their first line in David Cotton, Julius Matsula, and Logan Hutchkin. Like those, that's uh, the, probably one of the strongest lines in college hockey uh, that they're bringing back. Um, and it's something to build off of. Um, so to have all of that is really good. They're also bringing in a lot of really good talent. Alex Nook, Matt Boldy are, are going to be phenomenal additions. Um, to replace um, Joe Wall, they brought in um, an absolute stud in Spencer Knight. Um, so there's a lot to really be excited about. Um, I, I, I think Arthur, can you tell me uh, the incoming freshman? Who should we look for? I mean, I know there's a couple of first round picks in there. I was on Twitter that um, you had, I think it was five of the top 16 players in the NHL hitting the floor this Friday. Uh, who's worth watching there? I think meant to be really solid. Um, and Alex Newhook, too. I mean, they're they're slated right now to be top six level um, players for BC. Um, Boldy is a really good um, on the ice. He, he's incredibly good with the puck. Um, he shoots very well. He, like, he, he gets himself um, in, in really good spots. Um, he also plays the, the full ice. Um, so, like, he's, he's a really good solid like I, I don't want to call him a two way player because he's because he's you know a really strong goal scorer but he does play two ways. Um so I, I think I'm really excited about that about him. Um Newhook is is a fast, fast kid. Um he has a ton of skill in playmaking. Um but um so like yeah Alex Newhook and uh, Matt Boldy are probably the two guys I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, but again, I, I, I want to go back to Spencer Knight is a really solid goaltender coming in. Um, and not for nothing, Joe Wool had a solid year last year. Um, so the, um, he, Spencer Knight's got some pretty big shoes to fill, um, but he is a bona fide, legit goaltender. Um, so I, I think um, – you know, I, I look for Boldy, look for Newhook, look for um, for Spencer Knight. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're the best chance we have of making some loud postseason stuff, except for women's lacrosse, as always. And I don't know anything about women's hockey, I'll be honest, now that I'm no longer in school. So, yeah. I think women's hockey is also going to be pretty good. I, don't, I, I think they're not going to be quite at the level of um, the um, super teams that BC has fielded in recent history, but they've got a lot of really solid players. Um, and they, they've looked really good in, in, in the uh, sort of opening of, of the season. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely a lot to be really really excited about. Um, yeah, like I I I think uh, I think women's hockey like I I think there's a lot of people sort of writing them off right now, uh, and I think that'd be a mistake.
Sorry about that, y'all. Um, Patrick, are you there? Well, I was just going to say additionally. Actually, Patrick's mic might be muted. Can you hear me now, Patrick? I am loud and clear. Okay, yeah. Sorry about that, folks. Um, we've had technical difficulties all night. Um, but I, just to reiterate what um, y'all might have not heard when, when we got disconnected, uh, Hannah Bilka is a really solid player. She had a really solid game against Holy Cross. Um, there's a really a lot to be excited about with her. Uh, Aaron, Con- Aaron Connolly is also, I mean, she's, she's obviously a fan favorite, um, but she, she's again, like a really solid player. There's a lot to be really excited about with, with, uh, BC hockey right now. Yeah. I mean, I guess my general impression was, uh, yeah, they're not going to be as good as sort of that the couple of years they went, you know, ran the table to the championship or, you know, sweeping through hockey East, but I'll be honest, it would be a very BC thing if the one year that we won a national championship or whatever, it was the year none of us expected to do it. So, yeah. Go Eagles. Um, Go Eagles. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, basketball in the next couple of weeks. Um, if you guys are listening, our preview's up right now. It's actually, it should be really good. Um, we got a lot. We got some new writers, and so um, check out our series on the each sort of class of the BC men's basketball team. It's probably the most talented incoming class BC has had in an, a decade since like 07, 08, back when they were really, really good. Um, you can say what you want about Jim Christian, but he and his staff can really, really recruit. Um, Guys like C.J. Felder and Jay Heath are freshmen who I think are going to play at maybe not a freshman level at first, but that sorry, not a they're going to play at a freshman level at first. But I think by the time ACC play rolls around, they'll be looking like sophomores. So I'm actually really excited to see um, them play this year and hopefully save Jim Christian's job because I would love to have a team to root for that I follow closely. Hooray! Um, yeah, one, one thing I will say too about about Jim Christian is that, um, you know, for all the flack he's gotten as as, as being a, a game manager, and granted, I, I think it's valid. He has done a phenomenal job bringing recruits in. Um, so, um, I, like, I, I think people kind of lump Jim Christian and Cibadazio together, and granted, that that that's I, I I can see why I think there's a reason why. Um, they're both, you know, Brad Bates hires. Um, they both struggle. They've been both been struggling in kind of the same environment. But Jim Christian has, has been out recruiting Steve Adazio, um, in my opinion. He's, he's brought in some really solid recruits. He's developed some really solid players like Kai Bowman and Jerome Robinson. Um, so like, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure where the disconnect is. Uh, again, I think there, there's some things that he can work on in regards to his. Um, his player development or not, excuse me, uh, not player development, but like his game management. But um, again, like there's some, there's been some really good players coming from um, Jim Christian's teams. So uh, I'm not quite ready to dismiss him just yet. I think this is a make or break year for him. Um, Because at the end of the day, building a program comes down to three things. Um, acquiring talent, developing it, and then executing in games. And he seems really good at first, too. 
but the question remains still on the third. And so I think this is a year that we see whether or not you can put it all together. Um, I'm interested. I'm really interested to see how a Jim Christian team does without sort of a, a focal point on offense. Um, right within a Jerome Robinson or a Kai Bowman, because it can either be a replay of the 2015 team that was terrible, or it could be um, a totally new thing where, you know, you have a lot of ball movement, a lot of sort of open, open cuts. So I'm pretty excited. I'm really, I, I mean, you know, I don't have high expectations, but I think that it can, it's a boomer bust year. It's a make or break year. So a lot on the table. Tune in, get excited. Catch the fever. So, yeah. Uh, man, that's probably our show for tonight because uh, there's no game next week. Um, we'll be back next week to preview. Uh, yeah, oh, I, 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 here's the question for, for the week. Patrick, what are you doing for your bye week? How are you spending your bye week? Um, I have a pre-job mixer that I'm supposed to go to to meet all my coworkers and uh, other people in my fellowship program on Sunday. And then I'll probably spend Saturday. It's a bye week for both, both of my teams, both Cal and BC. So I don't know. Maybe it'll be nice that I can go hang out at the river or something. Or maybe I'll drive home for the weekend. Who knows? Times are yeah. exciting. Or maybe I'll just go to a bar and watch college football all day. Who knows? Yeah. I have options. What are you doing for your bye week, Arthur? So for my bye week, um, I'm celebrating the start of UGA hockey season. Well, at least our home openers. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Uh, UGA football um, has a home game against South Carolina on Saturday. So I get to enjoy the wonders of 12 o'clock football starts. Um, hooray. Um, but uh, so I will enjoy. Never been to a 10 a.m. kickoff. It's true. Like anything that, like any start that requires you to be in the stadium um, at like, um, like at some point in the morning, uh, the start times are not worth it. That that is my hot take. I don't know. It's tough because, like, as, like, a fan or whatever, I really like – as someone watching on TV, I like 10 a.m. kickoffs because I can roll out of bed and start watching. Um, yeah. But getting to a tailgate or whatever at, like, 9.30 is miserable. So – yeah, such is life. Or went to a tailgate at eight thirty. That was miserable. And uh, Mississippi, that sucked. Don't recommend that. So. Yeah, uh, I I don't entirely understand sort of starting your tailgating uh, time that early in the day. Um, it's too early to be drinking, but you know, both really early to be drinking with the right attitude, Arthur. Yeah, I guess. 
All right. Well, I think that will that will do it for our show this week. So enjoy the bye week, everybody. Make smart decisions, and remember, go Eagles, even in our deepest, deepest depths and despairs.